want to thank you, Scott, and the worship team, and everybody that's here helping this morning. And if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. They've been waiting for those words. All right. And um, let me just, as we get started, um, just also encourage you to be a part this week. So Holy Week is this week. Uh, it's also spring break. Uh, apparently also the flu's going around. I've got one home with the flu. We've got some others, some of our volunteers this morning ended up with home with the flu. So I, I thought we were done with the flu, um, but apparently we're not. Uh, but we're here and we're going to worship and we're thankful that you're here with us. But we do have two, um, we, of course we'll have our Easter Sunday service next week, which I'm excited about. But two things that I just want to encourage you, take the time to come and be here for. Uh, one is, is going to be Wednesday, uh, it's not Wednesday night, Thursday night, Maundy Thursday, and we've been celebrating Lent. Uh, Lent is a time of fasting and preparing our hearts for the coming um, of Easter. And so we started that on Ash Wednesday, and on Monday, Maundy Thursday, that is actually the week that Lent ends, so our fasting ends. So if you've been fasting from something, you can break from the fast, which is, by the way, where we get the word breakfast, uh, means that we break the fast, um, but Monday Thursday is not only breaking the fast, but what we are also doing is preparing for Good Friday, which is where a Tenebrae service will be a part of that Monday Thursday service. It's going to be here, uh, and you, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm super excited about this service. You should be here, and you should invite some friends. We've got uh, three other churches. Red Bank United Methodist is going to be with us. A Mission Red Bank, which is our local Anglican church, is going to be with us. Um, and the City Collective, which is a church plant that meets downtown, uh, tons and tons of college students come to their church. They're going to be with us, and so we're going to be all here together. Um, we're going to take communion together because uh, of the Passover meal when Jesus talked about uh, the Lord's Supper and that Passover was now going to be significant of his death on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, that happened on Monday, Thursday. So. Um, we're going to celebrate that together as well. So, very special time. I hope that you will choose to be here. And then Friday, Stations of the Cross is self-directed. Just show up. Between 11 and 1, there'll be a lunch. There's a lunch time and a dinner time. 11 to 1, um, it, can, you, it can take you 10 minutes to go through, or you can go take an hour and a half. It can take you as long as you want. There are some times for reflection and some tactile experiences, some smells and sounds. And so um, that's all available Friday, 11 to 1, and then from 4 till 7. Uh, bring your family, and you can bring your kids. You can bring whoever you'd like. It's going to be a really great time. Uh, I really encourage you to take the time out of your week to be here for that. So it's gonna, um, it is definitely worth your while. All right. Um, I want to continue today, even though it is Palm Sunday, uh, we're going to continue with Sermon on the Mount. Um, and honestly... We're going to do this next week, too. We're going to continue with the Sermon on the Mount because our next week's passage is, um, I think, will fit perfectly for also our rem reminder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, um, but today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and I want you to join me there. Uh, today's going to be a little different because we're really just going to take some time uh, through this passage and wh what is it really saying to us? Our topic is worry. And typically, the Christian response to worry is don't, right? Um, and to which sounds great and reasonable to anyone except for those who worry, <laughs> right? And then it's like, this this doesn't make any sense. This, that doesn't help me at all. So um, let's go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Um, and this is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, 
What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the fields of the air, um, the birds, not the fields of the air, that would be strange. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is textbook Jesus teaching on something that we have no idea what he's talking about. Can I get an amen? Now, I would probably get the worry and the anxiety part. But Jesus weaves in all these images. He weaves in birds of the air, and he weaves in lilies of the field, and he weaves in King Solomon, and then he weaves, weaves in the kingdom of God. And his answer seems to just be, seek the kingdom, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. And that probably would make a great song. <laughs> uh, you know, Take the kingdom part out. It sounds very, very much like a song that would be popular today. Um, but as we go through this, I want us to recognize uh, this, this teaching throughout the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus trying to give us bullet points on how to live your life. In other words, um, fast but don't show anybody, give but don't tell anybody, um, and don't worry, seek the kingdom, and um, 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 don't get divorced, and don't lust, and um, um, don't do this and that. And, and honestly, that's often how we read it, but this is not how Jesus taught, and this was not what Jesus wanted us to take away from these texts. And so if, if you're our guest today and you haven't been with us for the other weeks, you can go back and you can see some of the other things he's talked about. Uh, as we've come into this, we need to remember this is all one conversation. Even though we're coming in weekly and we're hitting just a segment, this is all one conversation Jesus is having from start to finish with a big group of people. It's his first sermon. It's his most extensive writing of his sermon. And it's something for us to look at and recognize Jesus is not giving bullet points for living. Jesus is telling us what the kingdom is like and what the kingdom is about. And so every Every single thing we've looked at has to be couched in the language of the kingdom. Even the Beatitudes, uh, it, the name Beatitudes, uh, it, we tend to think, oh, it's the attitudes that you're supposed to be. And those make really great worship slides and sermon titles and things like that. But, but that's not really what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes are not simply a, you need to be poor in spirit. Because I guarantee if you sit down and look in the mirror and say, okay, today I'm going to be poor in spirit, you cannot make that choice. You either are or you aren't. And Jesus is saying, for those of you who are poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours. Those of you who are meek, the kingdom is 
yours. Those of you who believe this so much so that other people reject you and don't want to be your friend and don't invite you to their parties and don't want to sit with you at lunch, but yet you're not giving any of this up because you know this is true. The kingdom is yours when you're persecuted. So Jesus is talking very differently about what it means to follow him. And as we read through this, we have to recognize that Jesus is not simply saying, okay, don't worry, be happy. Now, let me preface everything else I'm going to share this morning for those who truly have debilitating worry and anxiety. There are, there are certainly times that our bodies respond without any interaction from us. And in those times, our bodies can set off a series of chemical reactions that cause the feelings of worry and anxiety, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. And in those times, we fortunately today have the option to go to a physician to help us regulate body chemistry when it's body chemistry that's that's setting everything off. We often tend to think, well, you should just get over it. But a person that is going through debilitating worry and anxiety as a chemical process within their body, they they can't just simply choose to turn those things off. They don't have control or access to turn those things off. So, So as we go through this, if you're one of those people and you're like, I don't even know what I'm worried about, but my heart is racing, my adrenaline is pumping, my eyes are wide, I don't even know why, they just are, I, I'm going to encourage you that um, absolutely this teaching is for you, but absolutely go see a physician. And physicians can help a great deal regulating a body chemistry that gets out of whack. For many of us, the worry and anxiety that we feel is brought on by some of our own choices. And in that, this message is very much for us. And for some of us, we just generally begin to dread and expect the worst in life based on other things that we've experienced. And it doesn't even have to be one single thing. It's just, in general, I have a negative view of life and a negative outlook on what's about to happen. And in those situations, this teaching is definitely for us. But I do not want to enter into this with the idea, just get over it. That is not what Jesus is saying. That is not what we should say. But for many of us, and, if, and, and our professionals today would tell us, anxiety, fear, worry is at just unprecedented levels right now. Just as Scott said, we've been living in unprecedented times. Anxiety right now is at unprecedented levels. And if you're looking to get into a career and you, you want to uh, go get some additional training right now, counselors are booked up for months. I mean, months. Whenever we go and we talk, and say, hey, I've got somebody, I really need to come see you. My first appointment's in like eight weeks. <laughs> they are absolutely booked because worry and anxiety is through the roof right now. And it's not just the pandemic, although I think the pandemic has a lot to do with it. But I'll share that with you in just a few minutes. Let me also tell you, I'm, I'm speaking to you from personal experience. I myself do not struggle from chemical Um, anxiety. I don't have the same struggles that others have, and yet uh, we, Deidre and I, are in a a time of unprecedented um, worry and anxiety in our family, and that has to do, many of you know our story and what we're going through. Uh, Deidre today is in Houston with her dad, and he's back at MD Anderson getting checked out. They're getting ready to start another round of treatments for him. 
And we've been on this process now for a couple of years, so nothing is worse. Um, so it's not like things have gotten all of a sudden worse, but we're, there's a level of just, you know, there's just, that, there's just that level of uncertainty and heaviness that comes. And when you hope for quick healing and quick healing doesn't come, um, some anxiety begins to set in. And then just in general, caring for aging parents is difficult. Many of you know what that's like. In addition, we are at a very busy season of our life, and uh, you know our youngest is struggling with some some deep anxiety stemming from the reality that her mother died just a few, her biological mother died just a few months ago, and now she's experiencing um, delayed trauma. And what we know about trauma is that trauma uh, does not just exist in the mind. Trauma exists in the gut. You feel trauma. It lives there. It takes up residence there. And it causes all kinds of crazy things to happen here. So most of the trauma is being expressed through a night, uh, nightly ritual that does not include sleep. <laughs> Which means that Deidre and I have not been getting any sleep for the last few weeks. And so if you, some have been asking, Mark, you just don't look like yourself. I know, because I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm really, really tired. And yet that anxiety and that worry is a, is a very real part of our lives and things that we're going through. As a pastor, I deal with this just based on our church and coming out of this pandemic and, uh, and my friends' churches and the church in general. This is not my responsibility, and yet many of the things we worry about and have anxieties about are really not our responsibility. That's not how it works either. So I, I say all that to you not to, to lay my burden on your shoulders, although I do think that's part of the, this teaching of Jesus that you're supposed to do. Um, but what this is to, to say to you is, I'm living this, and so what I want to talk with you about, if you are living it too, I'm not just giving you things for to say, get better. Um, these are things I have found are life-saving. This is a life-saving teaching for me. And so what I hope this will be is a life-saving teaching for you. And if you're thinking, Mark, I've read this passage, I don't know anything that's life-saving about birds and and flowers, and I would simply say this, that's because... That's not really what Jesus was talking about. <laughs> I mean, it is. He's absolutely talking about birds, and he's absolutely talking about flowers. But this is one of those places when Jesus says, for those of you who have eyes to see, may you see. And for those of you who have ears to hear, may you hear. We have to see and hear what he's saying. And, and, and this, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we have to recognize that he is. this is a... Singular conversation that Jesus has been going through, and this is even a continuation of the last two weeks that we've been through, which has been some deep teaching, three weeks, three, four weeks now, deep teaching on, on authenticity. Jesus values authenticity. Don't use oaths in which that you are trying to proclaim God as someone to give you credibility because we will always bring God down, whereas we hope that by invoking his name and a promise, that will bring us up. He's saying, don't do that. Just be yourself. Don't, don't have to say, I swear to God. Don't, don't even have to say that. Live a life that people trust what you say is true. And then we went into that section that seems like it's really about fasting and it's really about being generous and it's really about praying. But we discovered that's really not what Jesus was saying at all. He, 
He assumed you're doing all those things. The whole That whole section of Scripture was about him saying, uh, practice this authentically. Don't, don't practice this in front of other people just so you get a pat on the back because that's all you will get. And he says, that's your reward in full. If you're practicing this in front of others and you're saying long prayers so other people will go, man, he's spiritual. Pat on the back, that's all you get. Oh, you're fasting and look, I'm so hungry. Pat on the back, that's all you get. And when we're generous, if we want everyone to know all the ways that we're generous and we want others to pat us on the back for doing that, Jesus is saying, that's not actually what any of this is about. Practice this for God and not for an audience of others. Be authentic. And authenticity is in many ways its own reward, the ability to be yourself. And yet I bet if I walked through the room and, were to, and you were to each be truly authentic, and I said, can you 100% be yourself? You would probably say no. Authenticity is its own reward, but he follows that up by telling us, and this is what we talked about last week, there are treasures on this earth that are so shiny, but they, they pass away and people steal them and they wear out. And as, as soon as we get one, it's not enough and we need another, but instead store up treasures in heaven. And he immediately follows that up with this teaching on anxiety in which Jesus has been leading us on a path to simply say the kingdom of God does not work like the world so you have to change the way you see the world. And in many ways, that's what this whole passage is about. Now here's what I want to do. Um, I've mentioned this before. There's a a term among um, biblical students, teachers, scholars, whoever, called the lullaby effect. The lullaby effect is that effect by which you have read something so many times that you read over it so quickly that you actually miss what's being said because you are so familiar with it. It kind of puts you to sleep. I've read this. I know. Do better. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Trust God. So everything's going to be okay. Um, and we miss really what Jesus is saying. We jump to the big parts. We get past it, and then we move on with life. So I don't. I want us to avoid the lullaby effect, and I, I want in some ways to... Um, point out how that works today but i want you to see what is happening Um, if we go back to matthew chapter 6 verse 25 he says therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing jesus is not talking about every single focus you could have in in life he's talking about our most basic substance needs the ability to eat, the ability to drink, the ability to clothe ourselves, our most basic necessities in lives. And and most of us honestly don't worry about these things. I mean, occasionally we do. Occasionally we'll worry about food, right? But most of the time what we worry about when we worry about food is not whether we have something to eat. We we worry about do I want what I'm about to eat, right? Right? Where am I going to go eat? Where am I going to eat out? I mean, what kind of foods do we want to have? I, I want this stuff. And, and so most of us may not even be able to relate on that level to what Jesus is talking about. Because I also don't worry about my clothes because most of us aren't worried about having something to wear. We worry about it matching, right? Um, some in my life worry about that for me. I don't worry about that for myself, but others worry about that for me. And and um, But most of the time, we're not really worried about actually being clothed. 
And yet at the same time, what Jesus is talking about and who he's talking to, these were their concerns. And even though we're not worried about what we're wearing and we're typically not worried about what we're eating, we can relate. Because we have to remember that this is a period of time in which Rome is in charge. Uh, Emma called home, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. She's been doing a Bible study in her sorority and she, she wanted to run through some things and some ideas that she was trying to figure out. And uh, and so we just we were talking about um, the presence of Rome and what were the realities of of their faith and their life being in that situation. And the reality is, is, you know, and, and her basic question was, was it really all that bad? Like, why was it such a big deal? And it's such a big deal for a number of reasons. One, it was a big deal because they felt like God had given them that land and they were supposed to be the nation to, to to redeem all the nations. They were supposed to be the one world power is really what many Jews believed. And and so when the disciples and others misunderstood that Jesus was coming to die instead of lead an army to overthrow Rome, there's reason that they thought he was going to be a, a soldier that overthrew Rome. They really thought that's what it meant because that's really what the history of, of Israel was. Whenever they were oppressed by another nation, God showed up, drove them out, helped them conquer them, and then they were the world power again. They really thought that's what Jesus was going to do, but Jesus was doing something way bigger than that that they didn't really understand at first. <coughs> but their life at this moment is a life where they are oppressed by taxes. So, so they're struggling to eat, because Rome is taking more than their fair share, and then you've got tax collectors who are adding on top of that um, their own share above and beyond what their normal pay was. So, so they were experiencing oppressive taxing. So they were working, but they weren't keeping much of the money they were making, and so they were worried about those things. And so they were just worried about surviving, and they were worried about political power and how that political power was affecting their lives and what it was doing to their faith and what it was doing for their children. Some of the same things that many of us still struggle with today. Maybe just not whether we're going to eat or whether we're, what we're going to wear. So we can recognize that within life there are major things that we all deal with. And it can be financial with, an, with, with inflation going up and gas prices going up and um, conflict in Ukraine and is conflict going to spread? Is World War III on the horizon? Um, you can add all of those in and those were some of the very same concerns that they would have had. Maybe not oil or gas prices. Maybe olive oil prices, I don't know. I guess you could make an argument for olive oil prices. It's not exactly how it works. <laughs> you can relate in some way or the other. And then Jesus, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't address their worries, interestingly, here. He says, don't, don't be anxious. And these are the things that a lot of you guys are anxious about. Don't, don't be anxious about that. Instead, <laughs> what, does, what does Jesus say? He goes on and he says in verse 26, look at the birds. Now I wish we had like lots of windows, right? Or we were outside and we could just say, hey, let's look for the birds. Because that's, that's legitimately, literally what Jesus is saying here. Like, don't be stressed out about what you're going to eat. Don't be stressed out about what you're going to wear. Don't be stressed out about who's in power or where you fit in the power structure of the world. Or don't, don't be worried about how much taxes are coming out and all this other stuff. Just, hey, just look at the birds. There you go. I don't know who's doing that. 
Who else would be doing it, right? Look at the birds. Does anybody here stop and look at birds? Does anybody do that? I mean, other than when they're about to swoop in front of your windshield and you're going 55 miles an hour, but do you just stop and you look? And yeah, and and maybe you don't just look at birds. Maybe do you just stop and ever look at trees in a field? Going across a body of water, you just stop and look at the water. Or maybe natural stuff isn't your thing. Maybe you you know drive past a car lot and you're like, man, there's some nice cars. You just kind of look and you kind of have this feeling wells up in you. You know, it just feels good. For me, I love being outside. And I love looking at birds. And I have found that in the moments in which I am most stressed, I have found my, my visual field is the smallest that it ever is in my life. Y'all ever, have you ever noticed that? That when we're stressed and we're worried, it's like this whole world is existing, but the only thing we can see is right here. I, I have literally been driving down the road and have something I've been stressed over resolve. And, and I have literally been driving down the road and I've just seen my vision do this when the stress is removed. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there's a sky. Not just the road in front of me. I found this is kind of a universal reality for most people who are going through stressful situations. And, and that is that our view of the world just, boom, here we are. And Jesus says, consider the birds of the air. Look up. Look around. When we think about what worry is, this is the this is the definition of worry. Um, I haven't mentioned my dog yet. I've mentioned my dog several times. Many of you know the stresses that my dog has, and I shared a few weeks ago. He tries keeps trying to burn our house down, and um, anyway, she drives us nuts. But these are the, uh, there, there's literally part of the definition of worry has to do with dogs, and it fits her perfectly. But um, worry, the verb form is to give way to anxiety or unease, I'll allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. So interestingly, if you have a dog and they like to chew on bones, like mine does, um, of a dog or other carnivorous animal, the, the verb form of worry is to tear out, gnaw on, or drag around with the teeth. So, so literally, um, we have to give Josie a bone every day to keep her busy, like one of the big ones, and it's rawhide, and for those of you who are like, that's not good for your dog, well, I'm, it's too, too bad, too bad, you know, because you know what the healthy things do? The healthy things get eaten like that, but rawhides take longer. So praise the Lord for rawhide. I mean, good grief. And is it going to create a ball in her stomach? I don't know, but it can't be any worse than if she doesn't have something to chew on. But that's literally called worrying. When she gets that, that bone, and, and it's funny, like she'll have it and, and no one will be in the room with her. And she'll just let it sit there, un, unmolested, untouched, unchewed on until someone walks in the room and then she gets it. And then she kind of go, cowers over it, and then she kind of puts her paw over it, and then she's looking at you. If you walk closer, like, you will not get my bone. It's really, y'all know what this is like. I can tell. And she does that. That's literally called worrying. I was talking to Deidre about this, because we have lots of talks about worry right now. And, and, and she said, you know, it's, I, that reminds me of when I, I chew on my fingernail. It is the exact same idea whether a dog does it or whether we do it. It's, it's that idea of just, I'm worried, and so I'm anxious, and I'm fidgeting, and, and I just, 
I have all this energy I don't know what to do with. The noun form of worry is a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. Problems that aren't actually problems, but they could be a problem, and so they deserve some time to worry about. Two, which most of us have those in our lives, for sure. I think this is part of the the thing Jesus is trying to say. Anxiety and uncertainty of actual or potential problems. I think worry is this. Worry is fear that there's not enough or that you will lose what you have. I think ultimately is what worry is. And that can... That can relate to um, taking care of Deidre's parents. Fear of losing what we have. It can be with inflation, thinking I'm not going to have enough money and so there's just not enough. I think for most worries, we can put them into one of those two categories. There's not enough or I'm going to lose what I already have. And in that steps Jesus to change the way we think about the world and people and stuff, and how much there is, and what is ours. And what he's actually trying to do when he introduces this idea by, look at the birds, is change the way we see. The, a change of perspective will change more in your life than you can possibly imagine. Just a change in perspective. There are all kinds of ways that Encourage us to worry, loss of, of attention from others. Um, social media is terrible about this. I, I want to look um, desirable, so I'll spend hours getting the right picture only to post it to assume that they'll think this is the way I look all the time. And you know as well as everybody else does, you don't look like that right now. I mean, that's not how you look. But it took you a lot of filters and a lot of angles and a lot of tries in order to do that, to get yourself to look like that. And the fear is, is people will not see me as desirable. They won't see me as attractive. They won't see me as worthwhile if I don't post that. Then you have social media channels like Snapchat who says, you can only look at it for a few seconds. So um, after a few seconds, it disappears so you've got to keep sending them. And you want to make sure you don't miss them. And then a few years ago, I, I know, um, I think Emma, more than any of our kids, got tied up on this these um, streaks. And like, you, these, they started these streaks. Like, uh, you get rewarded um, for posting every single day. And so she had, she would, you, and you can have streaks with different people. So, so I could have a streak just for posting every day, but then you and I can post to each other, and then we can have a streak. And so you can do that with like 10 other friends, and now you have 10 other streaks. And I remember one time we were going on vacation, and she was kind of stressed out. And if any of you know Emma, she, she kind of gets stressed out about lots of things. And she had to get a friend to continue her streaks while we went on vacation. So she had to give her friend access to her account so she could then go, her friend could post so she would be able to keep all her streaks. I was like, what? Who cares about your, a streak? You know, but it was a thing and it was, there was anxiety around it and worry. And, but if I lose my streak, what will I have? Um, probably a better life. You know, I, that's what was my thought. Probably a better life. But um, that, that happens. Selfies to prove that we're happy. 
um, diets, not to be healthy, but to look appealing to others. I think things are worse during the pandemic. We've been afraid of having a potentially deadly disease for two years and then not sure if it is really a problem or if it's not a problem. But we could die. Maybe we won't die. That creates worry. And then what we're going to find is when he begins to talk about the kingdom, part of the answer is the kingdom. And and you've got to understand the kingdom not just as this abstract principle out there, but you are the kingdom. You are the kingdom. I am the kingdom. So part of the solution that Jesus is, is, is going to propose is you need each other to deal with anxiety and worry and fear. And we've lost that through the pandemic so that our relationships are stretched thin. We are less likely to engage with people. And when we have worries, we're less likely to speak to someone else about them. Instead, we just hold them in, which is also a, just a really terrible, terrible um, symptom of worry is not only does our field of vision get really small, but our social circle gets really small. Our eyes are focused on ourselves. I mean, we're just kind of, we just kind of ball up and we don't let anybody in and we don't tell anybody. And yet, um, you people are the answer. So when I get worried and I get fearful and I close in and I'm just thinking, oh, this could happen. Oh, this bad thing could happen. Oh, this thing. Oh, no, I just, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. The, it, it, it even compounds the problem of excluding other people in the process. We go back. Look at the birds. Listen, if you walk out of here with nothing else and you're stressed about something, Jesus is literally saying, stop. Look at the birds. And maybe you need to walk out of here and that's what you need to do today. You just need to walk out and look for some birds. And you need to see what happens to your heart as a result. Now, Jesus isn't saying birds are so therapeutic they'll just make all your worries go away. He's not saying that. He's saying there's, there's a reason that we look at the birds. And, and he goes on, he says, look at the birds. They, they don't sow and they don't reap and they don't gather into the barns. They have no ability to provide for themselves. Zero ability to provide for themselves. Like If it's not already happening, they can't make it happen. So they're, they're gatherers. They, they are not creators. <laughs> they are gatherers. Look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And, and I don't think the point that he's trying to say is um, just trust that God's going to put a plate of food in front of you. That is, I do not think that's what Jesus is saying. The bird still has to gather, right? The bird still has to go get the seed. They still have to go get the branches to build nests. There's still something they have to do, but yet God has put into motion this thing in which they have everything that they need if they'll go get it. But if a bird stops gathering, a bird will not eat. You know, when they're young and they're they're just hatched, you know, mama bird's going to go get some food and bring to you, but then eventually she's going to kick you out of the nest and you either you work or you die. So I don't want us to come to this and say, Jesus is saying, um, if I just prayed or if I just was a better Christian, then there were just a plate of food would appear before me. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. 
Look at the birds of the air. They are valuable to the Father and He has put everything in place in order for them to be taken care of. And He goes on. Which of you can, by being anxious, can add a single hour to His span of life? In other words, when did worry actually solve any problems? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies. Go out and look at the flowers. I do think there is a therapeutic part of that, but just go go look at the flowers. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Again, they can't provide anything for themselves. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oxen, into the oven, um, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Translated, for the people who aren't interested in the kingdom of God, this is how they live. But this is not how the kingdom lives. There's a difference here. Part of the problem that we have is we still look at the world through the the world's eyes, not through the kingdom's eyes. And that's part of what Jesus is saying. Those of you who have eyes to see, let them see. They seek after these things. Your Father knows what you need, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added added to you. Ultimately, this is an issue about thinking Life is just about what we eat and what we wear or what we drive or what house we live in or what job we have or how many friends we have or how other people view us. Ultimately, he's saying this is is the struggle that people have, but if you will see the world through different eyes, these anxieties will begin to go away. The kingdom works differently. And what God's giving us doesn't wear out. I can go and get the best car, and guess what? Next year there'll be a better car, and it'll make me unhappy with my car. Phone. I mean, how many of us went out and got a We get new phones, and it's like the best phone ever, and then next year's phone's better. Yeah. Next one's better. Yeah, I mean, we do that in everything. Or... You go to the closeout rack and finally you can afford the trendy sweater. Next season, it's not trendy, it's old. And only only the, you know, clearance shoppers wear those now. Like, great, great. See the world differently. World stuff that we go after and we obsess over it's going to fade away. And even the people that we care about are eventually going to go away, and we're going to go away. There's a condition in life that no one has been able to overcome other than Jesus. And that is that we are all going to age out of this program that we're in. So look at life differently. So his answer is this, seek first the kingdom. And I think the very first time I read that, I was like, yes, be a better Christian. That's not it at all. If you are sitting here thinking, I'm not a very good Christian, guess what? Good. (laughs) Good. Maybe the kingdom is for you after all. Maybe you're part of the poor in spirit. So how do we seek His 
kingdom first. And, and in reality, if you're living according to the way Jesus sees the kingdom, the way He's been talking about it throughout the, this whole Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes and, and everything else, we're living in a new kingdom that works differently than the world around you. And so we cannot address worry and anxiety, or let's stop using those words, we cannot address loss or the feeling like there's not enough with the tools that the world gives us. We have to have different tools to deal with it. And that's why so many of us in the church are still stuck with worry and why why we, we, we struggle with this. And let, let me say this, just a few things that I think I want to leave with you and you can struggle yourself with and I'm struggling with it. And But one is this, recognize that worry is inevitable. It's inevitable. If you're not worried right now, you will be at some point. If you're worried right now, that does not make you less, that makes you human. Worry is inevitable. Palm Sunday is the day in which Jesus rides in to Jerusalem and everyone's excited to see him and they're shouting and they're praising and they're going here he comes but in less than a week he's going to be on his knees in a garden praying with with blood dripping out of his pores and and anxiety thinking god is there another way this is such a hard way is there another way worry is inevitable as a part of life recognize that it's inevitable another thing i would i would say to you is this cultivate living with an open hand john atherton talked about this a few weeks ago talking about anger and vengeance and um not trying to retaliate um but cultivate living with an open hand worry is most concerned with what you're going to lose so if you will hold on to the things that you have more loosely you that you will have less fear that you're going to lose them this is, a, this is a driving um, desire within my life that I live with more of an open hand. I don't hold on to anything so tightly. I don't hold on to our financial state. I don't hold on to our house. I, I don't hold on to my paycheck. I don't hold on to our futures. I don't hold on to our kids' futures. Sometimes we can put so many expectations on our kids and their futures that they can't actually shoulder themselves i hold very loosely to those things or i'm trying to at least i i try to hold loosely to um the fear of medical problems more medical problems for family members trying to hold loosely to that i'm trying to hold loosely to the challenge of not getting sleep I don't do well without sleep. I don't know many people who do. I've got friends that get like four hours of sleep at night and they're ready to go. I get four hours of sleep at night and you best not actually utter a word. It really would be better if you didn't even take a breath around me because I might snap. I mean, I'm not, I'm a, you know how there's like bad drunks? I'm like, I'm a bad insomniac. That's what I am, right? I'm a bad insomniac. I, I used to have to tell a friend of mine I worked with, listen, I just want you to know I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so I apologize right now for what's about to happen today. You know, I, I literally had told him that one time. I, I don't do well with sleep, and so it's, it's hard for me when I'm tired to hold loosely. It's hard for me. I'm trying to cultivate living with an open hand that does not mean that I don't work on the things I need to work on. 
Like, if I think I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, I need to go figure out how to pay my bills. I can't just sit there and go, God, please pay my bills. I mean, I, I do that too. Sometimes God says, well, you need another job. You need a different job. You need to stop subscribing to 15 streaming channels when you only watch one every now and again. <laughs> right? Maybe you don't need to have an extra payment on that luxury vehicle or that camper or that boat or whatever. You can get rid of that. I don't have any of those things, but I mean, I'd like to struggle with that. I don't have any of those things, but what are the things that I'm holding tightly to that is causing me this anxiety that makes me close in, makes my field of vision get small and makes me unable to focus and function? Cultivate living life with an open hand. Third thing I would say is this. I think we need to take Jesus at his word. Stop and consider. Stop. Look up. Look at the world that's still spinning. Look at life. It's still going on. The thing that you're dealing with, you will not deal with forever. Just stop. Consider. Look at the birds. Look at the fields. Life's going on. You're going on. You felt this way before, and it worked out. It worked out. Maybe not. It may not even worked out well, but it worked out. Stop and consider. Fourth one is this, and this is part of me trying to live with an open hand, and I think this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, um, seek first the kingdom. Constantly remind yourself there is enough for you to live and to be generous. There is enough. It's the difference between abundance and scarcity. There's enough. I may not get as much as I want, but there's enough. I may not get as much money. I may not get as much fame. I may not get as much comfort. I may not go as many vacations. I may not eat as many nice restaurants. But there's enough. I've not gone hungry yet. There's enough. And what the, the way the kingdom works, when we begin to see the kingdom as the kingdom of God being people, not just some crazy kingdom up in the sky, then we begin to recognize part of the answer that Jesus is suggesting to me is I need to let other people help me carry my burdens. Which means you need to help carry my burdens. Which means you need to start letting me help carry your burdens. And I need to help carry your burdens. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of the kingdom. And we don't do that because we don't want anybody to know what we're burdened about. We don't want anybody to know what we're worried about. We don't want anybody to know what we're afraid of. And some of us, we've tried it and it didn't go well. All of a sudden, everybody else knows our burdens. We're talking about is how Mark can't take care of things or blah, 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 blah. Right? We're bad about this in the church. That hasn't happened, by the way. But, but you know it does happen. Right? Can we lean on each other? There's a person who walks in here for the first time who, who is considering ending their life because they are stressed to the max. Can they walk into a place and the place says, let us help you shoulder this. Be a part of us. Let us help. Jesus said, cast your burdens on me. And that's what the church says to each other. That's one of the reasons I think that Jesus is so adamant about unity and peace and love within the community. And, and why Scripture says, listen, if a person becomes divisive in the church, 
Get them out. If a person's coming in and they're and they're messing with everybody and they're gossiping about people behind their back, get them out. Because you want to know how you kill a kingdom that carries each other burdens? You gossip. You judge. You tell them how they're they're wrong and they're bad Christians, and it ends, and the kingdom doesn't work anymore. Seek first the kingdom. If we have a an example of that in Acts where um, people found, I, did, I don't need so much. I have enough. If you don't have enough, I've got some for you in, in which Paul says the church was functioning so fluently in this way that no one had any need. Everybody was taken care of. They were selling stuff to, to give to other people and everybody they, they, they phrased it like this, everybody had everything in common. Like we all had kind of the same standard of living. And the last thing I want to share with you is I have found it's just absolutely life-giving, life-saving um, through difficult times. And that is that when you are tempted to enter into a shell, reach out to others. This is part of seeking the kingdom. Reach out to others. Stop. Look. Increase your field of vision. See others. Let them in. I have other other concerning things within my life this week and I... I reached out to a friend and I just said, hey, can we chat? And I took my burdens and I went, listen, I know you can't do anything with this. I just need someone to share them with me. And I placed them on their willing shoulders and it was such a wonderful moment. So there are two ways to hear this sermon. I fully expect you're not walking out of here hearing me say, just don't worry. And after walking through all of that, for you to never again be able to look at that path, passage with a lullaby effect to say, yeah, we're said we're not supposed to worry. We're just supposed to trust God. So much bigger than that. So much bigger. But there's, there's two ways you can read it. You can read it from a person with worry and a person without. You can be reading it as a person who says, gosh, I just this is what I need. Oh, I need somebody to help me with this. And you have to be willing to go out and share it. But you may be a person, you know, I don't, I'm not worried. I got it made. I'm not worried. And we all have those moments in our lives too. But you have to, you have to understand this teaching in this sense, but you are supposed to care, help carry the burdens of others. You can't just go skipping around life going, whew, I'm glad I'm not them. Carry the burdens of others. This is why we don't look at someone in need and we say something like, I'm going to pray that somebody helps you. Well, that's who we are. We're the help. Like, we're the help. And somebody doesn't have a meal. I'm going to pray God provides you a meal. Or you could go over there and buy some food for them. We are the answer. And we are the problem. Unless you think, and, and unless you leave this place thinking, well, Mark is is saying that it, it's all about us and not about God, and God's not going to do anything. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is how God, this is what God has put into motion to work through His body to deal with anxiety and worry amongst itself. Seek first the kingdom. Everything you need will be given to you. That may mean that some of us are hungry. <laughs> 
and we need to pitch in so you've got enough food to eat or I'm going to lose my house. And there's a difference in losing an apartment and losing like a 7,000 square foot behemoth house. I'm about to lose my 7,000 square foot mansion with my infinity pool in the back. Well, I think you probably ought to lose it. You're right. I mean, that's the answer. But you don't have a roof over your head? I think we need to help. This is the kingdom. This is not easy. And this is why people walk away, and, and this is why people don't want to be a part of this. And this is why religious leaders who were not used to being a part of the solution, everyone else was a part of the solution for them, why they hated him. But I'm not giving you some of my stuff. I'm not giving you some of my influence. I'm not giving you some of my power. No, you exist for me. We've got to get rid of this guy. He's going to take all the things away from us that we want. Because the Pharisees saw the world through the world's eyes, not through the kingdom's eyes. People will walk away. This is why it's so nefarious, this idea of I come to church just to be fed. That is the consumer mindset is so nefarious because the kingdom is not about consuming. The, ki- the kingdom is about being generous to each other. And by being generous to each other, we all have enough, whether it be encouragement or whether it be food. That's why the gospel written around just coming to heaven is a bad gospel. If you'll just say the prayer and believe the right things, one day you'll go to heaven because that's consumer too. There's something in between here and there. I want heaven. There's something in between here and there and the kingdom, that is beautiful and we embrace it and that is what jesus is talking about when he says seek the kingdom i thought we were gonna be out super early today i think that often this is so good it's jesus jesus teaching is so good and we there's so much of it this lullaby effect causes us to skip over and go you know what i should go look at birds his teaching is so good. Oh my, and it's so deep. If we'll just take our time and we'll just listen to what he's really trying to say. I'm going to pray with you. We've got one more song. We're going to take up our offering together, um, which is an, as a part of worship. And, um, and then we're done. Father, God, I know that there are people in this room and their anxiety is through the roof. Their field of vision is the smallest it has ever been. They are struggling with worry and doubt and fear and they're going to lose what little they have and once they've lost it, they'll never gain it again. And God, you have so much more in store for us. Change our hearts. Open our eyes. Let us see each other. Let us see deeply the authentic person that each other is and help us to carry each other's burdens. And God, when we're tempted to just keep our focus on ourselves and to think about us and only us, open our eyes. Help us to see the birds and see the lilies and help us to see the beauty of this thing that you have given us, that life is so much more than cars and nice restaurants and fancy clothes and big houses and prestige, and fame, but, oh, this life you've given us in this place is beautiful, and we live it out together in the way that you created us to. Help us to do that. 
Help us to be the kind of church that welcomes a person no matter what their struggles are and that we would say, let me help carry your burden. Father, we thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.